All right, new life. Welcome here today. My name is Jeff Baker. I get the privilege of serving as one of our pastors on staff here. So if uh, you are a guest like our young pastor, our junior high pastor, Pastor Ed, which, by the way, thank you for showing him grace. Um, you laughed at all of his jokes. Um, he, you really built him up today. And I want to say thank you for doing that. Okay? Uh, but he, here's the deal. Here's the deal. This is where we're jumping in. Um, we are uh, in the really in the middle of a very short series. It's a three-week series. I've entitled it Encounter. The, uh, the entire series is really uh, built out of the second chapter of the book of Acts. These are the very first moments of the early church after Jesus dies on the cross and is resurrected again from the dead, and then he ascends into heaven. These are those very first moments. This gives you the blueprint, the foundation of what the early church was all about. These in, this encounter word is all about encountering the Holy Spirit, an unexpected encounter of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And last week, we talked about how the Holy Spirit encountered believers and something dynamic took place as, as believers were baptized in the Holy Spirit and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And today, we want to continue that journey as we talk about how the Holy Spirit helps believers encounter one another, one another. So today, you're going to hear me talk about and you're going to hear me use the word believer. A believer is simply a person that's put their faith and their hope and their leadership into the hands of Christ. They've recognized that God isn't just the creator of all things, but He's the designer of all things. And that He is the supreme authority. And so, if you've come to the place today where you've said Jesus is the Lord and the leader of your life, and you've chosen to follow Him with everything, no, not that you're perfect. It's just that you've decided, I am in need of a Savior. My life is full of sin. Then you would, you would call yourself a believer. If you haven't come to that stage yet in your life, know this, you're in the right place. You're in a safe place. You're in a place where we understand the spiritual journey and we know that people have to come and they have to explore God. They have to seek God before they're ever willing to step over the line of faith and put their hope in Christ. So please know that today, although I use the word believer, it's not because I'm wanting to leave anybody out. It's because I want to help you understand what it means to be a contagious church that is filled with the Holy Spirit and is impacting its community the way God designed us to. Now, next week, what's going to happen next week? Because next week will be the, the third week and it will also be the wrap-up of this series. It's just a quick, quick series. Um, next week, what I need you to do is something very unique. Uh, have you served in your community? Have you volunteered anywhere in the community in the last 12 months? Now, before you answer that question, let me define community. Community is defined based on Acts chapter 1, verse 8. From Jerusalem all the way to the ends of the earth is what that verse says. Meaning that our community exists just outside of the doors of this facility, and they reach all the way to the ends of the earth. So in the last 12 months, have you served your community in any type of fashion or way? Have you gone on a missions trip, like Pastor Ed was just talking about with his junior hires? Um, have you served Habitat for Humanity, or maybe the Red Cross? Or you've served in other kinds of community events? I want you to wear whatever shirt that you were given for that, for that moment or some kind of a symbol or some kind of a hat or some kind of an emblem or some kind of a name badge that you use because maybe you volunteer on a regular basis. I want you to think about that. Now, I want to expand this a little bit as well because I want everyone to really feel included. Maybe what you did in serving your community is you went next door to your neighbor and you helped them paint something. Well, then wear the clothes you paint in, all right? 
Or maybe you went and you helped someone with some landscaping work and you got dirty. Please wash those clothes first, but then wear them. All right? So I want you to come basically and making kind of a statement. Make a statement next week that this is where I've served. This is how I've been involved in the community. We're going to have a lot of fun with that next week. So it, it really hinges on whether you participate or not. All right? So just decide right now that you're going to participate. All right? That means as I look out at you, I know in your heart you want to participate, but convince your face that you want to participate. All right? And that will really help me, and that way we can get moving forward. All right, so today. Today it's about encountering other believers. So as we jump into this, have you guys ever seen this particular sign anywhere? Who's seen that sign before? You've seen that sign. Okay, that sign is the what? The diving sign. That's right. Now, while that, while that sign stays up there, what, what is that sign really trying to tell us? Okay, for those of you that are listening right now uh, by podcast or by one of our video casts, people are they're splattering all different types of things, and everyone thinks right now it's a trick question. So no one really wants to answer boldly, just so that you're aware of that. So if you're tempted sitting in your living room or on your exercise bike right now listening, please do not yell things out because everyone will think that you're strange. That's just a brief warning on this particular sermon today. No diving. What's it really telling us? It's telling us, be careful. You have a hard time discerning how deep this water is. Or you can't see below it because it's murky. If you try to dive into this water, you are going to injure yourself. And you're going to injure yourself in a bad way. You're going to dive in, break your neck. You're going to dive in, break your shoulder. You're going to, you're going to dive in, something bad is going to happen. Don't do it because it's shallow. The water is shallow. We, as people, we tend to gravitate in our lives. We tend to gravitate to shallow living with one another. We don't tend to gravitate to deep relationships. If left to our own demise, we will gravitate to the most shallow relationships that we can find, where we can protect ourselves. Or we will have hundreds of acquaintances. We'll know people. People will know us. We'll walk around in our communities, and people will be able to speak our name, and they'll say hi to us. And wow, we feel really good when we walk around and people recognize us. But the depth of the, of the relationships that God is wanting us to have these encounters with one another, those are things we don't naturally gravitate towards. We'll, we can even have hundreds. Some of you may even have thousands of Facebook friends and or Twitter followers. And that will make you feel good, but that's still not the kind of encounter, the deep relationship that God's looking for. We lack these deep relationships and these encounters that God wants us to have. We can even come to church. We can attend a life group. We can work with people every single day at our house or our place of employment and still never reveal our true identities. How many times have you had someone close to you only to be surprised? I had no idea you were dealing with that. How many times have you had people close to you that all of a sudden you found out and you go, I had no idea that that's what was really going on in your life? Have you, if you've ever had that moment happen to you and you felt like you were really close to them, what did it do? What did it do to the relationship? Man, it really affected you, didn't it? it? I mean, it almost offended you that one of your your people that you considered to be a close friend didn't have the confidence to confide in you and they're wrestling with huge issues, but they never told you. And you felt like your hands were strapped behind your back, tied up, going nowhere. It's a very frustrating feeling. 
There's a few reasons why we lack these encounters of these deep relationships with each other where we go beyond the surface and we really become this contagious church that God wants us to be. Number one reason is because you're afraid. You're afraid of what people will really think if they knew what you were really dealing with. If you really opened your mouth up and you really confessed, you really broke it down and you said, this this is the monster that I see on the inside. You're afraid that people would reject you, they would deny you, they would push you away, they wouldn't give you a second chance, they wouldn't come up with some kind of a you know, plan to help you, you know, reinstate yourself, that they would just leave you hanging or they would cut you off if they really knew what was going on. And so therefore, we live life with shallow relationships, not encountering other believers with the power that God put inside of each of us to help each other out. The second reason, though, is that we aren't willing to take the time for real relationships. We would rather get busy in our own little things that we do. It sounds important when our lives are busy. It sounds important when every minute of our day is taken up. It sounds important when we can come up with a long agenda of what we've accomplished and what we've been doing. And really, it's an avoidance. It's an avoidance. We run to busyness to avoid the encounter that God wants us to have in other believers. The third reason, though, is because we're just flat selfish. We're selfish people. And we have a hard time getting beyond our needs to ever earn the right and to ever earn the status with someone else to be a safe place, to take off of our back that no diving sign. Our selfishness keeps us focused on us. We stay shallow. People can't dive into our lives because they've tried before and they've gotten injured. Encountering other believers... This encountering factor is the Holy Spirit helping us to become a healthy group of people so that we really are the church for one another that God created us to be. We need these deep relationships with one another, myself included. We need them. We have to strive for them. This is what the early church looked like. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, if you have your Bible, verse 42 through 47 is where we're going to land today. I'll jump out of it for a couple of moments. But for the most part, Acts chapter 2 Verse 42 through 47 is where we're going to land. And it's going to show us how this early church encountered one another. How the Holy Spirit worked His work inside of our lives to help us grow personally and to help us grow His church. How did they do that? First thing, if you would have walked through the doors of the early church, you would have encountered devotion. Devotion. How many of you have ever ever looked around and felt like you've seen a healthy marriage have any of you would any of you just say yeah you know what i've seen a healthy marriage you know you maybe you're talking about yours you may be talking about someone else's and i know marriages are one of those things like a roller coaster and some days are better than others but if you've ever experienced a healthy relationship then you've experienced the essence of the word devotion devotion a full commitment an all-out abandonment to give someone else or some other thing the best that you have to strive for in a marriage, to say, I, I love you. I love you enough that I'm going to give you the best. I love you enough that I want you to be the best. More than me. I'm all in. I'm not holding anything back. I, I haven't said to you, I'm with you, but yet I've got some secrets in my pocket. Devotion is the essence of being all in and com- completely vulnerable, where you've opened your heart to one another and you truly know one another. You have confidence that you're both headed in the same direction to accomplish the same goal. That's what the early church, they were striving for. 
It's a constant work. It's never something you perfect, but this is what they were striving for in the relationships with one another. Look with me in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Take a look at what it says. It says this, All the believers, they did what? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. We're going to hang on that scripture for a moment. What did these guys devote themselves to? What did they commit themselves to? What did they completely abandon themselves to? The very first thing they did this with was the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to biblical teaching. Now, look at what it means. Devoted themselves to biblical teaching. Does not mean they devoted themselves just to be in church, to hear it preached. That's not what they devoted themselves to. They devoted themselves to hearing God's Word and applying God's Word. This devotion to the apostles' teaching, this devotion to biblical teaching, had everything to do with application and action, not just hearing God's Word. In our culture, we believe that devotion is just being here and hearing God's Word. And I want to awaken you on the inside. If you're new, just to be, just getting into the habit of attending a worship service and attending church, congratulations. Praise God. Man, I'm excited for you. I know what that journey was like to get back to this point where you just walk through these doors and maybe you walk through them for the very first time. You're in the right place. I just want to help you have the right perspective. We're not just here to take up some time and to say, I went to church. We're here to hear biblical teaching and then to apply it to our lives, to commit ourselves to this teaching. That's devotion. That's what the early church looked like. These guys were hungry to hear God's Word and hungry to apply it. They were devoted to it. That's contagious. Notice the next thing that they were devoted to. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Fellowship. Three quick words that start with a P to help you understand what it meant to devote themselves to fellowship. Are you ready? They devoted themselves to partnering with each other. Yeah, they they just partnered with each other. They found out what each other was doing and they jumped in and they partnered with each other. They heard one another's dreams and visions and they helped them to be accomplished. Ministry dreams, personal dreams, goals in their personal lives that they wanted to overcome and they partnered with each other to make that happen. You have to love people to partner with people. They participated with one another. You know what that... Let's just break that down. They participated with one another. They didn't always... The same person didn't always have to be the leader. Someone else could be the leader. They participated with them. They heard great vision. They jumped in and they ran with it. And they followed the leading of the Holy Spirit as God spoke to one another. They participated with each other. And last, probably one of my more favorite ones... They partied with each other. And I don't mean party like in some kind of a worldly way. I just mean party in the sense they enjoyed one another's company. They they just liked each other. They saw past each other's faults. And they liked each other. That's the kind of contagious church the world's looking for. Not the backbiting, tearing each other apart, finding each other's faults and, you know, chomping in each other's Achilles heel. They looked beyond those things and they, they disliked each other. And they liked hanging out. So you partner with, you participate with, and you party with devoted in fellowship. That's contagious. But that's not where they stopped. They also devoted themselves to something else. They devoted themselves to sharing in meals. Praise God. That's why I think the church likes to eat so much. 
It's been passed down from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. We're devoted to sharing meals with one another. Now, look, let's just make this very practical. This is what, that, this, is what this can look like. What they did was they decided, what are things that we have to do all the time? Well, we have to eat. Well, why don't we take a moment when we have to eat and share it with others? Oh, novel idea. Novel idea. Why don't we take a moment that we're all going to participate in and why don't we maximize those kinds of moments? Maximize these natural moments to eat chicken wings with each other. To have a potluck with one another. To say, what are you doing tonight? You want to go out and get a falafel? You want to go... That might be, I don't know. Is that something they ate? Then? Okay, okay. You want to go out? You want to, you know, like the turkey leg at the, at the carnival? You know, you, you want to go out and get like a, like a goat leg or a lamb leg with one another? They just took natural moments and they invited others. They just do that. I mean, in a little while, you're going to be challenged here in a few weeks to, you know, consider, consider being a, um, a partner this way. To, to take on an international student that God's bringing from around the world to our, our community to attend UNK. And they're going to ask you if you want to be someone that will sponsor or build relationships with one of these international students. And they're going to tell you, why don't you just, here's how easy it is, just take them along with you with whatever you're doing and wherever you're going. And that's what I'm suggesting to you. What are you normally doing? So last night, I, had, I mean, I just worked hard this week. And I was, all week long, in my back of my mind, I couldn't get this one thing out of the back of my mind. You know, a mint malt with chocolate flakes from Culver's. Couldn't get out of my mind. It was stuck there. It was just rattling around. I thought I lost it, and then it came back. And last night, as I wrapped up all the things I need to deal with, it's about 8.30 at night, I turned to my wife and I say, Honey, I'm going to go get that mint malt with those chocolate flakes at Culver's. Do you want to come with me? She's like, Absolutely. And I go, well, guess what, honey? Because there's a road that's got construction, we have to drive right past Roger and Johnny's house. Why don't we call them and see if they want to go get ice cream with us? Who could deny that? Sure enough, they go, give us 10 minutes. I swing by with my Jeep with the doors off. Johnny Powell's in the back. Now that's a sight you're not going to see every day. (laughs) Off the Culver's we go and we get our ice cream and we enjoy some time together. What did we do? We just took something we were going to naturally do. We included others into it for a time to build relationships with each other. These guys also did this thing, including the Lord's Supper. I just want to take something that we consider to be sacred, and I'm going to break it down to what, it, what they really did. They did this in their homes. Well, they had, pla- they had a place to come and worship. It's not that they didn't have a place to come worship. They partook of the Lord's Supper or communion. They did that in homes. I don't know how it went down. All I know is that when believers come together, we have one massive thing in common, and that's our Savior and our Lord, Jesus Christ. That means they took moments where they didn't just watch a movie together. They didn't just eat a meal together. They brought the focus of their commonality into the forefront, and they said, let's worship. Let's worship our Savior together as they partake of communion with one another. That's not where it ended, though. They also devoted themselves to the last one, They devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. Praying for God's will to be done in a corporate sense. Praying for one another, both in private and in person. Finding needs, 
rallying around them and praying. They believed God had the answer. They believed that God had the power. They believed that the power of God was large enough to deal with their issues. And so they prayed together. Interestingly enough, devotion really is a signal of our identity. What you devote yourself to becomes your identity. I'm devoted to my wife. We've been married for 26 years. I represent her. She represents me. I've devoted myself to her. She's become part of my identity. I've become part of her identity. I've devoted myself to new life. You, you've become part of my identity. When I'm out in the community and I say I'm a pastor at New Life, they judge me based on how all of us respond. And they judge you based on how I respond. Our identities have been melded together because of a devotion that we share with each other. Now, how does this play out in the, in, you know, the world? I grew up in a home where my dad was extremely devoted to Mopar cars and Chrysler cars. Is there anybody else that's here that's like that? Anybody? Okay. It's dwindling by generations. But that was, I mean, I just knew when I, when I grew up and I got a car, it was going to be a Mopar or a Chrysler car, and my very first car to drive was a souped-up 64 Barracuda that really could rumble down the road. That's not what you put in the hands of a 16-year-old. But my dad was committed to that. The car I drive, a Jeep. People will say, I'm part of a Jeep community. When I drive down the road, other Jeep people. We can see each other coming because we're the only cars left with actually round headlights. And we look and we see one another and we wave at each other. We're part of a little culture. And if you have a Jeep and you don't wave at other Jeep people, then you don't deserve your Jeep. But there's Ford people and there's GMC people. There's clothing that we wear that becomes our identity. There's even advertisement. Advertisement is all built around helping you be devoted to something so that you can have your identity. That's why you stand in the, in the toothpaste aisle and you're a Colgate person. Or you're someone else. And when you go to get yours and someone else is reaching out for their other brand, you kind of look down at them. Like, can't believe you would even go for that brand. We all know Colgate is the best. Or soda. Great war there. Pepsi or Coke. But our devotion, and listen to me carefully, our devotion causes us many times to overvalue what we like and undervalue others. How does this play out when it comes to the relationships? We overlook and we undervalue the family that's right in front of us. And we overvalue and we inflate what's distant from us. We tend to undervalue and overlook what's close to us and overvalue or inflate the value of something that's distant from us. Let me give you a couple examples of that. Jesus said it. He said it pretty clean in uh, Mark 6, 4 when he said that, uh, he said this actually. He said a prophet, look right here, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. I can preach to you a message with three points that just rock the world, with examples that just stir your heart. And then I can invite some nationally known speaker to come in and give him the exact same sermon with some big-name guy who's written three books and he speaks all around the world and say, I can tell him, this is the message you're going to preach, sir. And he can get up here and preach the same message and what will happen in your hearts. 
naturally what will happen in your hearts is you'll go, whoa, now that, that sounded important. Because we overinflate the things that are far from us. We listen to other speakers, we hear other people, and we just assume that because they wrote a book or they speak nationally, they must really be in tune or they must be really smart, and we undervalue what's close to us. And that happens with our family here. God wants us to be devoted with one another, and that means we have to value one another over over what we value outside of this place. We have to protect it. We have to fight for it. We have to, you know, see its true meaning. We have to express it. We have to love it. We have to run after it. We have to protect it. To do that, we have to increase our devotion to one another. Start loving one another in word and in deed. Increase your devotion to one another. And increase your value for one another. Increase your value for one another. One of the things you can do to increase both of these is to believe with me and to pray with me. This is what I sense in my spirit, that the gift, the gift for God's vision is already in this house. That the gift for God's vision of our community, the gift for God's vision of Kearney and South Central Nebraska, the gift for God's vision is already in this house. It's here right now. Oh, more will come. There's no doubt about that. More people will fill up this place and find a life-transforming relationship through Christ. But the gift of God, the gift that God has, that He wants to give the community this week, is already sitting in this church right now. That means we value one another because we are God's gift right now of what He's wanting to use. And there's nothing better than what's already in God's hands that He wants to use. God has a perfect timing. Devote yourselves to one another. Value what you have here. Value it enough that you would pray for them, invest into them, that you would have fellowship with them, that you would share meals with them, that you would be engaged in their lives and do it with a devotion to one another. That's one thing that you would see. If you walked into the early church, you would also see, you'd also experience this encounter of accountability. You walked into the early church, you would encounter accountability. Look in verse 43 with me. It says this. A deep sense of awe came over them all. A deep sense of awe. Awe. What is that? It's fear. It's the fear of the Lord. It's the reverence of the Lord. It's this, God, I know that you're the ultimate supreme authority, and I'm coming under your leadership. I'm coming under your guidance. There was an authentic view that Christ was the ultimate authority of the church, and they were all committed to it. And the early church desired for the community, the new life community, they desired for them to also experience the awe or the reverence of God. They they desired for a community to live in righteous, holy living before God underneath the supreme authority of Christ. They felt a sense of accountability in their lives to try to live holy for God. Not out of legalism, not out of a list of do's and don'ts, but out of a submission to the authority of Christ. And they desired to extend that accountability to one another because they wanted a community that they could be devoted to that represented everything that they believed in, which was Christ is the ultimate authority. We all are in awe of Him. All of us were in awe of Him. Notice that in that passage. All of them. And they worked hard to maintain that amongst one another. When you think about a sports team, What holds a sports team accountable in practices and to win a game? Well, the coach does that. 
In, a, in the Christian world, the Holy Spirit does that. The conviction of the Holy Spirit holds us accountable. His voice matters the most. But if you've ever played sports before, you know this. You know that players help hold one another accountable. Players will challenge each other. And they'll say to each other, there's more that you can give. You can, you can run that play harder. You can do that better. I mean, we're all up on the front line of a football team and you, you can block that guy better. I know you can do that. Come on, let's get this one. They turn to each other in a huddle and they'll say, come on, let's win this, let's win this play. And they'll challenge one another to be better than what they are. But when one player slacks over and over and over again, those players are not afraid to call the slacker out. Why? Because they desire the accountability to become the best. For you and me, we have to have this awe, this sense of God's authority at work and have a desire, a desire to see, to see one another live righteous before God. So we too, we have to challenge each other to live under God's authority. We have to be willing to call one another out when we see a friend slacking. But that requires deep relationship, guys. You don't have the right, you don't have the right just to call something out of someone when you haven't taken the right to earn a deep relationship. It's very offensive when that happens. We have to earn the deep relationships if we want to call the best out of each other. One builds into the next, and the Holy Spirit will help us live lives like that. But we have to follow the Holy Spirit to be devoted to one another first. Another thing that if we want to encounter accountability is we have to make Sundays a priority. This gathering together has to become a priority. Look at what these guys did in verse 46. It says that they worshiped together at the temple. How often? Each day. Each day. I'm not asking you to come here each day. You're welcome to come here each day, but I'm not going to preach a sermon every day. You're welcome to come and pray. You're welcome to come and join. You're welcome to come and volunteer. You're, you're welcome to inter- engage with the church, which is you and me. You're welcome to engage with the church every day in some capacity out, out in the world where you live, inspiring and encouraging and being devoted to one another. But making these Sundays a priority, why would they do that? Number one, to honor God, to be accountable to God. Number two was this way, though. It was the minister to one another. And, and thirdly, it was the receive ministry from others. Well, there's many of you that are here today and you see yourself as a minister to give. But more of us need to see ourselves as people that need to be ministered to by one another. In a few weeks, I'm going to kick off our life groups. They're going to kick off for, the, for this first semester that's going to run from September through November. Life group is a great place to find this accountability with one another to encounter other believers and to allow the Holy Spirit to move between one believer to another to help us live these godly lives and show devotion to one another. I want to encourage you as the documents and as the publications on this roll out, find a life group and get involved. So you would have encountered accountability. But if you were a member of the other church, of the early church, you would have been encouraged to encounter felt needs as well. Look what happens in Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45. It says this, And all the believers, they met together in one place, and they shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions, and they shared the money with those in need. There's two critical things that happen here 
when the early church is encountering felt needs. The first thing is this. They shared everything. They shared everything. Let me just ask you a question today. When, when were you and me encouraged to learn the art of sharing? When did that start happening in our lives? Someone just yell out a, an age. Three, as a child, as a young one, we were taught the lesson to share, right? When did we ever outgrow the lesson of sharing? When did we ever get to a stage where sharing is no longer relevant? The answer is as a teenager. Yeah, someone yelled out as a teenager. That's true, my friend. When, when did we ever grow so old that we've earned the right we never have to share again? Why? Why do we get to these stages where we come to a point where we're like, oh, we don't need to share anymore. We can just take care of ourselves. We can live independent. We can do what we need to do. The early church realized that they were like a band of brothers, that there was a brotherhood and a sisterhood that was found in Christ. When I grew up in church, just as a young, just as a young lad, they used to use the words more often, brother and sister. Now, it drove me up a wall. It, it, it just was kind of crazy to me, and it's not really part of my, ling- my lingo, but it is definitely a part of the language of my life. We are brothers and sisters. They were accurate when I was a kid, when they called each other brother and sister. That's the type of relationship that God is wanting you and me to have. He's wanting us to encounter the felt needs, but we do that because we see each other as a family. We are a family here. I mean, look around the room just for a moment. There's people up in the balcony people all over the lower level. I mean, just look. Just look across the room at one another. All right? I know some of us look funnier than others. It's okay. All right? Some of us, some of us are just, we all look different. But look across the room, right? This is our family. These, this, in this room, there's felt needs in this family that God's called one of us, one of us to reach or a number of us to help reach out to. So just to practice the familyhood of this whole thing. Just turn to two or three people and tell them, you're the most beautiful thing I've seen all day. All right? Just do that. Just to practice the familyhood. Just tell them, you're the most beautiful thing I've seen all day. And I know what you're really saying, and that's this. I've been having to stare at this joker up on the stage. So yes, you really are the most beautiful thing I've seen all day. Because I've been having to stare at that guy. Great examples, though. Let me just give you three quick examples about how our church shares the felt need of one another. Three quick examples of three new families. A new family, um, the Holtz, Eric and Candy Holtz. They come to our church. Um, He is a professor down at UNK. Their basement just flooded. I heard about it, and we were talking. I said, I have a dehumidifier if you need to use it. And they weren't sure, and then they called me back, and they said, man, if we could use that dehumidifier, can, can we do it? I said, absolutely. Just gave it to them. Told them, if it breaks, don't worry about it. Not your responsibility. If anything goes wrong, it doesn't matter. You know, I'm giving it to you for you to use. I'm sharing what I have. I'm giving it to you. Another, another person, um, her name is Trish. She has four children, four girls. She's new to our church. Her friend Kylie Wolford um, has helped her kind of come to this church. And Trish needed to move. So Kylie organized a group of people to help her friend move. And they all rallied around this brand new member, this brand new attendee to our church. To, to help them care for and encounter felt needs. That's awesome. We had, there's a number of you that have cared for my wife and I in all kinds of different ways. And not to leave anyone out, but I do want to single one person out. And just to, as an example, Sharon Stelling. She's come over to my house. She's loved on us. 
She's helped us take this house that we bought and done a couple of little things to help make the house become more personal to us. And just little things, sharing some of her gifts, some of her eye, the way she sees things. I'm thankful for everything that all of you have done. That's just an example. That's the kind of church we have. We have a church that's encountering one another and we're caring for each other's felt needs. That's awesome. And we can't stop doing that because Jesus said this in John 13, verse 35. He said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. It speaks a loud statement to the world that we are followers of Christ when we encounter each other's felt needs. And to do that, we have to do it out of obedience, sharing. But, but secondly, out of that verse that we looked at in verse 44 through 45, it said this, that they gave to each other. They actually gave to each other. They sold their possessions, they sold their properties, and they shared money with those in need. Gave it. That's the kind of church that God's looking for us to be. What does this mean, though? Do we have to go sell everything we have? No. It just means this. God, whatever I have, if you need to need, if you need it, it's yours. Whatever you've given me, it's really yours. If you want it, use it for your glory, it's yours. That's a big statement. It's a big statement. That's how we encounter felt needs with each other. Whatever I have, my gifts, my talents, my abilities, my resources, it's really yours. If you want to use it for your kingdom, it's in your hands, God. So when you give, though, when you give, give things as a gift, not as a loan. When you give to one another, give it as a gift, not as a loan. Don't expect anything in return. That's the kind of generosity, that's the kind of felt need giving God's looking for in His church. Don't give expecting to get something back. One of the ways you can do that is practice blind giving. This is what I mean by that. No, it's not putting a blindfold on going, who can I give to? Who can I give to? Blind giving is you give and the other person doesn't even know who it came from. If you feel like someone needs groceries, go buy them and just put them on their doorstep and walk away. If you feel like somebody needs a financial gift, Put it in an unmarked envelope. Put the money in there. Send it to them. They don't even know who it came from or what was going on. Blind giving. where there's, It's impossible for you to get the glory. You practice that kind of giving, and there's something inside of your heart that just, it just jumps because you know about a need and you reached out. Ask God. Ask God you know, if He wants something that you have. Just ask Him. God, you want something I've got. Like, you want me to write a letter of encouragement to someone. You want me to make a phone call of encouragement to someone? You want me to go over to someone's house and to pray with them? I'll do it. God, whatever I have that's in your hands. You want me to take them a meal? I'll make it. You want me to buy their lunch? I'll buy it. You want me to invite them along to Culver's? I'll do it. Whatever I have is yours. How can it be used to encounter one another and meet felt needs? Guys, I'm telling you, that was an attractive church. That's why God was adding to their numbers daily. They were encountering devotion to one another. They were encountering accountability with one another, and they were encountering each other by helping to meet felt needs. That's exactly what Christ has done for us. Christ modeled ultimate devotion. As He came to the earth, as He gave His life on a cross, and He rose again from the dead for you and me. Ultimate devotion to you. 
ultimate accountability that through the power of the Holy Spirit, he keeps dragging you, grabbing a hold of you, pulling you to himself, opening up your eyes, helping you to see how you can live holy. In meeting felt needs, there isn't a greater need that needs to be met than the sin of our lives that Christ met. And when you encounter Christ, and when you encounter the, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, you encounter one who doesn't want to just impact your life, but he, want to in, he wants to impact lives through you. That's the kind of church. That's the kind of church God calls us to be. A church that encounters Him at that level. I don't know how God spoke to you today. But I guarantee you God spoke something to you, challenging you of how you can encounter other believers to really become a contagious church. Today, you might need to encounter Christ, the one who modeled all these things. I want to encourage you to do that. Surrender your life to Him. Another way that we're going to encounter one another and that talked about in that passage was the Lord's Supper, communion. We're going to partake of communion together today. I'm going to challenge you to do it slightly different than maybe what you've ever done before. Here at our church, we practice what I'm going to just refer to very quickly as open communion, meaning you don't have to be a member of our church to partake of communion. The only thing we want to challenge you in is this. Commit your life and devote yourself to Christ. Stand before God, holy and blameless. Come to Him today and ask Him to be the Lord and the leader of your life. Ask Him to come, forgive you of your sins, and to stand before God with a heart that feels pure, going, God, thank you for the gift that I'm going to celebrate. Communion has two elements to it. The bread, or in our case, the wafer, and then the cup. And the bread represents the brokenness of God's body in Christ. Christ broke His body on the cross for you and me. And then the cup represents the blood of Christ that poured out from His life, that gives you and me new life. As we come today as one large family to worship, to celebrate, and to give thanks to Christ who gave His life for us in this manner, we do it out of a sense of reverence and awe. That Christ is my supreme authority. And this is an act of worship. Once again, thanking Him for His devotion and His accountability He brings to my life and how He met my felt needs. So today, as we come to partake of communion, it's not going to be served outward. It's not going to be dished out to you and we're not all going to do it together. We're, I want to challenge you to do what the early church would have done in their homes. You would have been invited to someone else's house. Somewhere in the evening, they would have broke these elements out and they would have partaken in communion together. Today, I want you to figure out maybe who you can team up with. One family and another family. A couple of friends and another friend. And I want you to come and I want you to grab communion. And I want you to find a place. Maybe grab it and step away from the tables over there or kind of go back to your seats or whatever. And find a place where all of you can just share with one another very quickly in communion where you can break bread together and partake of the, of the bread and say, God, thank you for your broken body. You can take the cup and you can drink it and say, thank you, God, for your blood that was shed. Where you can pray together. You can pray together and where you can, you know, if there's felt needs, you can pray for one another in those felt needs. I want you to find some people. Now, if you're new here or you don't know anybody, all I'm making is a suggestion to you. This is not a mandate. You can take of communion or choose not to. That's up to you. But if you want to maximize this moment and encounter other believers like they did in the early church, find some friends. 
find some friends and partake of communion together. I'm going to pray. Our worship team is going to come. And when I'm done, then I want you to respond. There's tables in the back. There's tables in the front. And let's find a way that we can encounter other believers today. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that your word has life. Thank you, Father, that what you call us to be devoted to is to your teaching, to your word. You call us to be devoted to fellowship with one another. You call us, Lord, to be devoted in sharing meals and sharing the Lord's Supper with one another and even praying for each other's felt needs. Lord, you're you're awesome and amazing. Thank you that you modeled this for us. And now you ask us to model this for one another. As we respond to you in these next few moments, would you meet us in this place in a powerful, mighty way that would transform and would change our lives? In Jesus' name, amen.